you're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. To check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Good morning those visiting us. It is really good to, uh, to be able to bring the word to you today and to, to try to exhort you to trust Christ uh, even as we listen to him pray for the 12 disciples. I would like to pray for God's help and then, and then get going here. God, thank you for your people, that they love you, they love your word, that you've blessed them to receive your word, you've manifested your name to them, and we are here together worshiping you today. We gather around you, we want you, we need you, and as we talk about serious, eternal things, uh, would you make us uh, like the people that you want, which are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at your word. Let us love your word today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. A man who has not prepared his own children for his death has failed as a father. Thank you, King T'Chaka from Black Panther. This is a fictional Marvel. It's a Marvel film. Uh, and this is, these are beautiful, redemptive words. It's a hidden kingdom, a uh, reclusive kingdom that uh, has vibranium and, and could bless the world, but they've stayed reclusive. And we're going to follow that pattern to see, to see what we can learn uh, about this preparation for death. It's a serious topic. I remember as a kid, I was, I was that kid that was really weird, always asking about death. What happens after death? Is death to be feared? What do we do with death? And I had all the questions and none of the answers. And this is the answer. The gospel is the answer to the life's biggest questions and the question of death. So if you are uncertain today, if you're dealing with fear, if you're wondering if you've prepared yourself, if you've prepared your family... Tune into this text today. Historically, the church has done a really good job of preparing people for death. It's even been a major uh, passion of the church. Through the Middle Ages, you've had books written on the art of dying. You have, you know, how do we respond to the bubonic plague where a third of the, the world's population dies? Some fled. Someone abandoned their own children, their own families, and leave for fear of the disease. And then some, God's people embraced it. There's countless stories of, of French nurses um, embracing their own death by just knowing and willingly, I will die. I'll die serving. Like our brother we just heard about from Pastor Greg, whom the word has been revealed to. He loves the gospel more than his life. And we have stories in our own church of this even. Um, I think of the the beautiful story of Pastor Brandon shares of of baptizing his own dad and then in his final moment singing hymns over him. We have the stuff we need um, to be prepared for death, and it's because of Jesus. It's revealed in this prayer. Other stories in the church, even, of uh, people building a tiny home and, and embracing their dad's last years through all the emotional angst that that could cause, of serving. 
Um, this is a church who does this well, and I want to I point to another way that we do it well. Um, I want to ask for kids' help right now, if you've, uh, especially these little ones back here, I think they could be helpful. Maybe teenagers, I'm going to rely on you, students. It's from uh, the New, New City Catechism, and it's been taught through ages in different versions and different catechisms. All right, so Chet and others, because I know Chet knows. Chet's ready. What is our only hope in life and death? What is our only hope in life and death? And I got some shy people. That's fine, but I'll wait. I'm not a teacher. What? Jesus. <laughs> that we are not our own, but belong to God. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for mimicking, too. This is our only hope. And it's it's important job of the church to prepare people for death. And that's what we see Jesus doing here today. He's... Preparing them for his departure. I want you to consider, how are you doing preparing your own home and yourself for your death? Have you prepared? And this is a really compelling question. In this passage, we're going to see how Jesus prepares his own disciples for his death and for their death. As you can imagine, Jesus is cherishing these last moments with them. Right? Because he's going to a throne. He's going to, be, he's going to be the living, reigning king witnessing. But these are his last flesh and blood moments, right? First John says, that which we've seen, which we've touched with our hands, the King Jesus. These are his last words. For the last four chapters, he's been giving his farewell to them. He's washed their feet and shown them what it is to be a servant. And here we are in this prayer. And we're going to hear something that echoes in another part of Scripture. Uh, I want to read you another passage, if you, would, if you would let me, and I want to ask you to track and, and find it in our passage today. I believe Jesus had this on his mind. The Lord said to Moses, uh, this is uh, number 622, if you would jump, if you want to jump there. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Okay. You may not see the connection yet, but for weeks of just meditating on this, it's there. And it's, it's very clear to me, I checked it with some brothers, <laughs> that it's on Jesus' mind. All right. This is a Nazarite vow chapter uh, with the word Nazarene means to, or Nazarite to consecrate. And there's just so many little clues here. That this is going on. But I want to ask Taylor if she could, or Curtis, to put the words back up there so I can... Because this is thrilling to me that, that the word Jesus would use the word to pray. How much more do we need a model for prayer? So look for here in these first few verses for the blessing that has already been put on a people um, in verses 6 to 9. I'm not going to read it all to you. Well, actually, I think I will. Let's do it like that. I have manifested your name to the people whom you've given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. And now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Everything given is... So, in other words, Jesus is showing here that his blessing is already on these people. Why? Because they were able to receive his word. I'm going to use this to loosely organize this uh, passage in, in these three ways. Jesus acknowledges God's blessing on them, that they have received his word, 
if we could go to the next one, uh, 11 through 13, thank you very much, right there. And it says right here, 11 through 13, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. So we have Jesus praying for God to keep them. That'll be our second if you're trying to take notes and follow a guy like me. (laughs) Three, Jesus makes his face to shine on the 12 as he nears the hour of his death in 13 through 19. I see that in the joy that he has. He's put my joy on them. That's his face shining on them. And so we're going to organize around these. um, And I just challenge you to hear these words of the 12 disciples as you prepare for your own death. He is the answer to the death problem. So let's see first how Jesus acknowledges the Father's blessing already on them uh, because they have been able to receive his words. I see here just a really beautiful communion. And he says, your, you, you, your, your, your. He's talking to his father, right? He's praying for the 12, but he's talking to his father. And they're communing around this idea of how richly he's already blessed us. He's blessed the 12. Sorry, I'm going to do that occasionally. That's next week. Tony's got that. I pray for the people that will believe. He's celebrating. He's reveling in this idea that he's already been revealed to these 12. He does it again in Matthew 11. It says there he declares. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have revealed these things to the little ones. You've hidden these things and you've revealed these things. He's he's celebrating. He is passionately communing with his father that the father's blessing has been put on the people. And so I want to look through this passage at six ways that Jesus prepares his disciples for his death. We've already seen one here. He's, he's prepared in this celebration that God has revealed the truth. Second, he teaches them the power of not belonging to the world. Okay, again, my students, I need your guys' attention. What is our only hope in life and death? Come on, you can go so much. I know you all know this. That we are not our own, but belong to God. Thank you. You want to say it real loud? Okay. We are not our own, we belong to God. So here we have in verse 9, please look with me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. Is Jesus being exclusive here and only praying for the world? And not, and not praying for the world? Only praying for the 12? Is he be exclu- being exclusive to say, I pray for these 12? Yes. He is being exclusive. Because the only proper way to pray for the world, this is from D.A. Carson, is that the world could abandon and join with those who've been chosen. In other words, we belong, belonging to the world is, is pretty rough because you're following the prince of the air, the power of the air. You belong to the enemy. But Jesus is praying, not for the world, but for the 12. And so it's a model for us. The only way to pray for the world is for the salvation, Right? We can pray for God to give them little blessings and things. But the prayer is that this would be a day of salvation for those who don't know him. But what about John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would have eternal life. He's not praying for the world. So what do we do with that? We're gonna, I'm going to hold that there for the end. But just to remind you, the world can only be prayed for that they would abandon the world and join King Jesus. 
Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Is it hard for anyone else who's been paying attention to the the book of John to imagine that he's glorified in these goofballs? He's, He's been disappointed multiple times with them, right? He's been frustrated. He just told them right before this that you're going to be scattered. You're all going to abandon me. You're all each going to go to your own home. But Jesus means it, guys. As he prays his blessing on these disciples, he is glorified in them. How in the world is he glorified in them? Because the word has been revealed to them. If you hear me right now and you can accept God's words, like our brother we just heard about, that he is the son of God, you are richly and eternally blessed beyond any circumstance you could go through, beyond any failure you could go through. You're blessed because you're able to hear. And so that's the way that Jesus has prepared him for the death, that he's, his death, he's allowed them to hear. A third way he prepares them for his departure. How are you doing? I'm keeping notes for trying. I'm really hard to follow. A third way he prepares for the departure is he shows them that they are ready for his death. Even though they will fail and because they've been blessed by God, they are ready. What's his goal? What's his goal for his 12? If you guys could just step back and think with me for a minute. What does he want for these men? It's at the end of the passage. Pretty clear. It says sanctify them in the truth. And I want you to begin right now thinking, I don't care if you're a student, if you're a somebody that's, you know, uh, about to go into the grave. What is your goal for those that are following you, for those under your influence? What is your goal? Because as we heard from Josh uh, Campbell, when we baptized our little brother, his, his son was already reaching his friends. So what is your goal for those under your influence, for your friends? Here we have a beautiful goal. Sanctify them in the truth. So we go back to our Marvel story. T'Chaka preparing uh, his son for his death. T'Chaka, thank you for correcting me over there. Is it all true? Did he prepare his son? And his son actually learns uh, when he's halfway killed by his cousin that he wasn't ready for it. His father did not prepare him for his death. Um, he, uh, he visits the ancestral plane halfway dead, and he asks his father about some suppressed truth, some hidden truth. He says, uh, well, let me just tell you the, a little bit of the background first. Um, he's got a living cousin in Oakland growing up in the mean streets, right? Because as they try to protect the kingdom, the Black Panther goes and actually kills his brother because his brother was trying to help the world. He kills his brother and then he just abandons them. So as he confronts him on the ancestral plane, he says, how could you do this? His father says, he was a truth that I chose to omit. And I want to repeat it for all of us. He was the truth that I chose to omit. Doesn't that sound like humans? Doesn't that sound like the way John is described? We love the darkness more than the light. Romans 1, we suppress the truth of God. We like lies better than darkness. So we can see how much more the disciples have been blessed by God that they've been able to hear. It's not been hidden. It's been revealed. They can accept it. So let's kind of look at the ways that they've... Oh, just 
for a side, because you might not know the whole story. The suppressing of the truth leads to Eric becoming Killmonger, right? A very successful killer who is the one that has come and challenged King T'Challa for the throne. So any little omission is seen even in Marvel stories, right? These kinds of things. Omission of truth leads to chaos and death. So how important it is as people of the word that we be sanctified in the truth. Let's look at just some really fast ways I want to overview because I have so many verses I've been given. So I've done a good job of trying to be succinct. Here's the ways that they've been richly blessed in the truth. They are given to Christ and therefore able to keep his word. They're able to know all that Christ has is from the Father. Verse 7, they're inheritors of the Father's words given through Christ. They're friends of God, in first, and this is in 15, because he's given them everything. I don't call you, because I call you friends now, because you understand. You're my brothers. In verse 8, they're able to love Christ because God made himself their father. And they are prayed for. They are blessed because they believe all of him. He is glorified in them. I want to turn to the next part of that number 612, uh, number 6 prayer now. The first part, the Lord bless you. We've seen Jesus acknowledge his blessing on the disciples. Now, the Lord keep you. And if you're looking, if you're following in your Bible, you're going to see the word keep in here about five times. So we know that's what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus prays, the second point, for the Father to keep them. I am no longer in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So Jesus keeps them by teaching them about the Father's holiness. Holy Father is a name found only in the book of John. um, And it combines the awesome transcendence of God, his eternal nature, right? His immutability, he's unchanging, he's, he's immeasurable. He is holy with family, holy father. And that's a beautiful and important part of what it means to be kept uh, one as we are one. The root, this is from D.A. Carson, the root of Jesus' holiness and of ours is our relationship to the holy father. So many misconceptions, right, about holiness for Christians, right? What holiness is how to get it. We make ourselves holy, but we are holy simply through connection to the Holy Father. Jesus prepares his disciples next for his departure by showing in prayer that the Father will, in fact, keep them. I'm going to just point to all the verses really, really fast if you follow with me. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one even as we are one. I kept them. Verse 12, I have guarded them. And then again, verse 15, keep them from the Holy One. To be kept in his name, we see in verse 26, is to be kept in his love. But now he's leaving them, right? He said that I've guarded them, I've kept them. Now he's going. So who will keep them now that he's gone? Who will keep them? The Father, certainly in prayer. But now look at to see the role of the one another here that they may be one even as we are one. To be one with one another. Sorry, we are one with one another because the Father and the Son are one. I wanted to connect a little bit about what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 3 here. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. 
And that word maintain, I want to zoom in on real fast. Can we purchase our own unity? Can we work hard enough to be at unity with everyone in this room? No, it's already been done. It has been purchased. Our job is simply like to do what Jesus is, to maintain it, to keep that unity. And there's a beautiful story, that uh, illustration that Tozer tells. And I'm jumping ahead, so hopefully I can remember it because it's not right here. I'm going to jump to it. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, somebody might know about tuning pianos. This might make no sense to some. 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to one another, right? They are in one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So also 100 worshipers met together, each looking away to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be where they to become unity conscious, where they were to make sure they made it to all the parties that were going on, right? We got to main, we got to go for this unity. We got to create it. No, we got to look to Christ. He says, in conclusion, I got too excited and looked up. <laughs> Social religion is preferred when private religion is purified. Uh, uh, artists, my wife and I like to listen to Jimmy Needham says, uh, you can't be social until you're broken for your sins. Otherwise, we make people like a little too much, right? So when we get to the dangers that Jesus is praying for here, he's praying they be kept, and that is one another. That is us keeping one another. That is us maintaining, eager to maintain the unity that's already been purchased. That's us working for it and working, and forgiving, and loving, and patiently asking again, how can I know you better? What can I do for you? And it it leads us really to the third part of his prayer, in that Jesus, as he prepares for his own hour of death, think about it. He's about to say, in Matthew, it's got to be, because as I looked at, from there, go from this place to the mount, it says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. But man, I can't even hear it in these words right now. He is so thinking outside of himself. And I think it's an incredible picture of what it is to make your face shine on others. And so if you're following, it's my third point. Jesus makes his face shine even as he nears his own hour of death. And I want to connect the parallel. So uh, the prayer is, Lord, make your face shine. Uh, May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you, right? Give you peace. And now back to Jesus, verse 13. But now I'm coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is very serious about our joy. And I want to encourage you with six ways that he cares and he provides for our joy, even as a way that he prepares us for our death. He's prepared us for great joy. And here's the six ways. First, We know in chapter 14 that we have a home. I go before you to prepare a place. We have a a hope. We have a final destination. It is not up in the air. No ancestral plane for us to pass through. No doubt. He has made a home for us. Second, Jesus prepared us for the great joy of mission. I'm so excited to share this next part with you guys. He wants his disciples to share in his joy. He prays out loud to the benefit of those who heard. Verse 14, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I am not of this world. 
15. I do not ask you to take them out of this world. Wouldn't that have been easier, right, to not suffer with Christ? But if we don't suffer, Romans 18, we don't have glory. We suffer with Christ. He says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them, again, keep them from the evil one. So what is a disciple's relationship to the world? I think, again, here's where the kids could tell us a lot more than we probably realize, right? Especially trying to make it in your, in your new circles, right, to navigate new friendships. What is it like to just be that, that kid or that college student or that person at work who loves Jesus? Actually, this just happened to me this morning. I was studying, and a woman at Panera just came up to me and says, is this some God talk? I said, yeah. She said, F you. Right in the middle of Panera. I said, so what we do is what we, we infuriate people. We infuriate. I didn't say a word to the woman. In fact, uh, she was complaining previously about Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday. And I thought that was a little ironic. But uh, maybe, I, maybe that got her going. But we infuriate people. I was simply reading my word. In fact, uh, I would have been happy to talk to her. But she just moved on. Um, and so the relationship that a disciple has to the world is one of hatred. And you guys know it. And sometimes it's not funny, right? Today I was like, I literally don't care. I just kept going. Didn't even, didn't bother my concentration one bit. But you know, some of you really know the agony of working uh, and being hated by the world. Am I right? And that's okay because, in fact, Jesus, this is one of the ways that he prepares us for the great joy of mission. We will be hated by the world, but we are not defenseless. He invites us to this mission. Here is the joy. I want to tell a quick story of, of a revelation. Or that's a really wrong word. I was sitting in a class once with David Pallison, and he's teaching about uh, God and the communicable attributes of God. And we were going through things like, Holiness and transcendence and these beautiful, incommunicable traits of God. And then he pointed out something that's very beautiful right here in this Numbers passage. I can't wait to share with you. So the Father, right, is to make his face shine. That is actually a communicable thing that you and I can do to the world. We can make our face shine on the world. We can make our face shine on one another as brothers and sisters. And we can make our face shine on the world. And it brings us great joy. I somehow lost an entire page of my notes, probably by putting them out of order. And so now I'm going to get back to it. So he's prepared us for this joy and teaching us that uh, we have a gospel to share. So this is the fourth way he's prepared us for joy. Don't worry if you didn't get the third one, because I probably didn't say it. (laughs) What do the sent ones say? Okay, so if you think that I'm just stretching a little far to think that it's true, this making your face shine. Another priest, a type of priest, David, pointed to the very same thing. Anthony said this week to to us that all of the Psalms is prophecy. And the more I've thought of it, I I came with several more Psalms that I'm not going to share that are true for that. So Psalm 67 is... Gives us what, it, what it's like to be sent into the world. Here's Psalm 67. I'm going to read it. See if this sounds familiar. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. 
that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. It's the same thing, right? David's picked it up, this exact same prayer from number six. And the beautiful thing that prepares us for our joy in it, that your ways may be known on the earth. That is our joy. It is our joy to not be comfortable and sassy in church, right? To not treat church as a social club, as a hobby, as Brandon mentioned last week. That would not be our joy. That is going to be very empty. You're always going to be thinking, no one's doing enough. I'm not invited to enough. I'm outside of it. It's because you're not on mission, possibly. Because here's the joy. It's to be on mission, to make your face shine on other people. And it's specific. It's through the knowledge of Jesus. It's that transaction of sharing the knowledge of Jesus. And I want to ask you, even, even in this group, even after we get out of church today, in your small talk, will it be about the knowledge of Jesus? Right? That is what makes the nations glad. That is the mission that our young brother will present to the world, is the knowledge of the, the, face, of God, of the face of God in Jesus Christ, his glory being revealed through the face of Jesus. So next, in the ways that he's presenting joy, Jesus in his joy sanctifies us and sets us apart for mission. That's fifth. I'm just going to read quickly here. Um, the method of mission is sanctification. First, to make holy is the sense of the word sanctification. Second is to be set apart from, for service. In John's gospel, sanctification is always for mission. And I want to go to Jesus' sixth way of giving us joy is that he gives us a holy ambition. He prepares us for death by giving us a holy ambition. Do you love reading missionary biographies like me? I could nerd out on those all day. If I had a full-time job, I could read missionary biographies. Since many of you are not, I've got a couple snickers and laughs. I want to read one. Just a quote from a man. This was a famous cricketer. In, he was the most famous man in England at the time, C.T. Studd, for being a great cricketer. And he abandons it all. He leaves. He goes... Uh, He moved to Africa and he said this, some would rather live within the sound of a church bell or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That is holy ambition, right? Holy ambition is what we heard from our young brother today. I don't care if I die. It would be God's will. That's a holy ambition. And that's part of the sanctification. Sometimes we think of sanctification as just, well, me getting to do the stuff that I want to do, right? No, sanctification is about mission. Every time in John. So if you don't read those biographies, read them. I just gave my David Brainerd, which is my favorite one, to Gary recently. Um, there's a holy ambition. It was, the notes were taken by Jonathan Edwards. He died at 29. Several horses die from under his feet as he passionately goes around New England just sharing the gospel with the Native Americans. And sometimes very effectively, sometimes through great despair. This man went through melancholy like I've never experienced. But he had a passion. He had a holy ambition And that was to make Christ known. Verse 19. It's my last verse here. Excuse me. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. That they also may be sanctified in truth. These words to any mature believer upon reading, you immediately go to the cross, right? 
to a priest who becomes the sacrifice. The sweep of the gospel shows the central purpose of the mission of the Son is his death, resurrection, and return in glory. If Jesus consecrates himself apart for his Father's will, he consecrates himself to the sacrifice of the cross. D.A. Carson. So let's look what it is. What is a priest, right? I don't want to take for granted that some would know what a priest is, but Gideon gave me some good help this week uh, in our sermon session of, of saying, trace it through, even from the garden, guys. Did you know Adam and Eve were put there, uh, right, to rule over all of creation and to represent God? So we're going to follow for just a brief moment. If you have no introduction to Christian theology, I want to kind of introduce you to the whole narrative of Scripture. There's just these four points. So you can become familiar with what our faith is. So he, he puts man there, and it's a good creation. It's a good garden. It's a good existence. And he says, to rule and represent me, which is what a priest is. That's creation. The first major pillar of biblical theology. And the second is the fall. It happens to the very people, that the first people he made. They, they basically become deceived by the enemy. They taste death. They could have died immediately. I'm always amazed that they didn't just die right there. Because he said, you will die if you take this fruit. Instead, he begins to show his mercy right away by clothing them, killing an animal to clothe these people whom he warned would die. So we have the fall here. And in, in the fall, Genesis 3.15, our church covers this all the time, and it's, it's, it's an important part of our theology, is that the prophecy that the woman uh, would suffer, the child, sorry, her offspring would uh, have his heel bitten, but he would bruise the head of the serpent that deceived them. So this is the fall. And this is a picture of actually uh, a failed priesthood. They didn't rule. They didn't represent God right. So then we move toward this next third pillar of biblical theology, which is redemption. And this is the hour when this is happening. As Pastor Brandon drew out last week. This is the hour. The hour has come. Redemption has finally come. The priest will lay down his life like Genesis 3.15 said, his heel will be bruised, but he will crush the head of Satan while being sacrificed for us, for me. And if you're beginning to, to look through the, um, the next 40 days leading up to Easter, I always think at the very beginning that I have to personalize. This cross was for me. It is not some abstract. It is for us. We are personally involved in the cross. Those are my offenses placed on the Lord Jesus. And then the fourth pillar of biblical theology is glorification. One day, right, all will be made right. The, the garden will be restored, be new heavens, and there'll be a new earth. And in Revelation, it says that we'll be a kingdom of priests. So you and I will rule and we will represent God and his creation. It will be that peace that's been prayed for here. We just are so thankful that Jesus has set himself apart and consecrated himself for the cross. And so now I want to go in my very conclusion here. What are the results of all this? So what? Like, what, what happens as a result of Jesus preparing the twelve? Of his shining his face on us? And the first one I just have to share is courage. He prepared very well 
for the twelve's death. And it's still a preparation that lasts for us. I want to share a beautiful quote that you've probably heard before from Robert Murray McShane. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, right, to actually hear his words, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Christian, this is where your courage for mission comes from. This is where the courage to say, I want a holy ambition. God, give me a holy ambition to not be playing around, but to serve you, to know the joy of presenting your gospel. The second is one of the values that we have and we're pressing for here at Redeemer, which is honor. A result of him shining on us and keeping us, praying for us, is that we can then shine on others, right? We can love, we can be generous, we can be open-handed. We can say this, I have union with Christ and the Father. I can move towards you and forgive you. And your trespasses might have been forgiven. Uh, and that we can then do this, something Anthony said in our sermon session. We can be a reflection of union, which is more important than arbitrary doctrines. So, in other words, when we differ with somebody over secondary, tertiary issues, we can still make our face shine on them. We can still be generous with them. Pardon me if I misquoted that in any way. The next is rest and joy. This is a result of the prayer, what Jesus has done for us. If I could go back to that marvel, this is going to be a spoiler. So if you don't know the story, you probably didn't care anyway. So I'm going to assume you saw the second one, which is Wakanda Forever. If you haven't seen it, don't listen right now, because I'm going to tell you the very last line of the film. Okay? And if you're like, I hate Marvel, and I especially hate that movie then just ignore this illustration. The rest is provided for, for the royal family. The conflict's all been about the royal family, right? And now the new Black Panther, Shuri, has lost, seemingly has lost everyone in her family. She is alone, and she's going through the motions of grief. She goes to Haiti to visit her friend Nakia and to basically do a, a ceremonial thing like her mom taught her to do a year after death. In this scene, and I'm really sorry if I'm spoiling it for him, but I already warned you, all right? This gloomy, lonely uh, aura that's going on in the story is, is real. You can feel it. Like, she just won. There, she just chose not to retaliate. She became a true hero, really a picture of, of the gospel in many ways of not retaliating. And she's accepted this path of grief, and she's, she's there at the fire with her friend Nakia, who, unbeknownst to her, has her nephew, T'Challa's son, the next Black Panther, is sitting at the fire with her. She doesn't know it yet. But it's revealed through these words to her son. Your father, your Baba, prepared us for his death, didn't he? And the young T'Challa is glowing. It's worth just checking out an image of that. This boy's face, the acting for me is just phenomenal. He's glowing. He's radiant because he's never known his dad, yet his dad prepared for his own death. So in some ways, he does know his dad, right? And he knows his story. He knows his lineage. He's been kept and he's been prepared for. And that is just rest. To me, it's a picture of the beauty of rest, which is one of the results of the gospel. So... Marvel stories, kings, real kings and kingdoms, they die. People die and they, they don't come back. But how much more has King Jesus 
perfectly prepared us for our future deaths because he is a king that doesn't just die at the end. He's a king that re- he's buried, he's resurrected, and he ascends to the Father. He's raised by the Father. And so much more that he not only gives us the Holy Spirit to represent him and be with us, he even dwells with us, as we'll see at the end of this prayer, the love of Christ dwelling in us. So as we begin our 40 days leading up to Good Friday, Jesus is grieved to the point of death, yet he's shining on us like this. My challenge is for you to remember to make your face shine on your neighbor, your neighbor in your home, your neighbor you don't know, the one that hates you at work, to be like Jesus in that communicable attribute of God, of blessing. And pray this prayer for people that the Lord would bless and keep and make his face shine on them. I want to end with a quote from uh, Paul Tripp for, for all of the parents in the room and those thinking about those they influence. We are the visible representation or representative of God's invisible authority. And that is a holy thing to put over you. You're ambassadors to your children. So I challenge you to pray like Jesus, to ask God to bless and keep and shine on people and to give them peace.